Welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. Glad you could make it. This is Pastor Daryl, and I hope that today's episode is a special blessing to you. So, here we go. Alright. So, praise God. So, give me one second here to switch over. Um, so I'll have the Bible scriptures up there, but you're welcome to follow along if you have a Bible, you want to do that. Uh, before we go, we're going to start out this whole event talking about Christ's uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem and the significance of that prophetic significance and, uh, historic significance of it. Let's first begin a thousand years before Christ. So we're going to go back in time to Psalm uh, 2. So the second Psalm, pardon me. Give me a second here to flip over to my notes. The second psalm is all about the coronation of the Son, uh, the crowning of Christ, uh, this prophecy uh, on what's going to happen a thousand years in the future. So David writes this psalm uh, that is so full of meaning as to the human condition and the significance of the return of the King. Now, the coming of the king, and then we look forward to the return of the king. Uh, the psalm is divided up into four stanzas. And so beginning with, with a verse, so the first stanza, the first three verses, is all about the rebellion of man. We start out being at war with God. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, We've been at war with God. So he first, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The nations rage, nations rebel against God. Um, uh, and and, and verse, uh, verse, oops, hang on. The kings of the earth take their stand. Against God, they hold their position, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one, that being Christ. Verse 3 oh, Let us tear off and free, and free ourselves from their restraints or throw their ropes off of us. This chains of, of sin. Now what, there's a connection here. So, so David starts out the rebellion against people, or people like rebellion against God by the nations of the world. And, and, he, and he ends his stanza to try to encourage uh, us to throw our, our chains off. And, and, but the reality is we can't do that on our own. We need someone to help us. I'm going to quickly go over to John 
chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 34. Truly, Jesus said, truly I tell everyone who, I tell, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a man, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Freedom from sin through Christ. There is this this opening salvo, this this hope. A thousand years before Jesus comes, there's the king, the anointed one, is going to bring us freedom in the midst of this war against God. And so that we go into the second stanza with verse four. The second stanza is God's response to uh, the, the nations raging against him, rebelling against him. Verse four, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. You see, that's what that's a natural result, a natural response of, of, of someone against uh, an enemy that is no match. You, you, there's uh, laughter is is a natural, and 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 mankind is no match against God. And and verse five, he speaks to them with his anger and terrifies them with his wrath. So he's angry with them, and there's gonna be wrath against mankind. Uh, and then this, uh, and then this decree: I have consecrated my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Zion, by the way, is Jerusalem. It's another word for Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem, by the way, means literally means city of peace. And, and Jerusalem was where the first, where the gospel was first proclaimed. This the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins, took our place on the cross. So we could be just so we could be forgiven and be in a right, right relationship with God. Verse uh, seven begins uh, a new uh, stanza, and where we see in this stanza, we see an exhortation to submit. This encouragement to surrender to God. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, "You are my son. Today I have become." I'm sorry. It's not exhortation. That's the next stanza. This uh, stanza is God's decree. God uh, makes a decree. I declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Very A thousand years later, Jesus will be baptized. And God will say, this is my son of whom I am I'm well pleased. And, and, and so we, you are my son. Today I become your father. This is a, the surprise of the Gospels, mind you. And we're going to talk more about this, but uh, up until I, uh, up until after the resurrection, uh, the Israelites thought that the Messiah was going to be a military leader. He was going to be an earthly king that was going to save them from from all of their enemies, and the nation of Israel was going to be strong, and everyone was to come to Israel uh, and look to Israel for guidance and wisdom, and, and Israel would stand the kingdom, uh, uh, be in charge of the world forever. Um, that's what they were looking at. They had no idea that the battle was much greater. It was over all, not just Israelites, but all mankind. And, and it was for our very eternal souls. And that Jesus was coming to, to pay a high price so that we could be forgiven. And that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be the Son of God. 
verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. This is the continuance of God's decree. Um, let's, so I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 So Jesus came in there and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus received all authority. He has all authority. He has the keys to, uh, to, to death and the grave. He has conquered sin. He, has, he, can, he can free us. He can give us eternal life. That is all, all that authority and power has been given to him. He has conquered the world. In verse 9, uh, there in the second psalm, you will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Jesus is going to win this decree. Jesus will win. So then having said all that in this fourth stanza, beginning of verse 10, this fourth stanza being exhortation to submit. He says, so now kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. You see, this is an exhortation to kings and judges, but I feel like what's good for leaders is also good for us. So anything that a leader is encouraged to do, we should do likewise. And there's four things in this stanza that we're encouraged to do. First one being receive instruction. To, to hear the instruction of God's word and God's Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Receiving that, and, and what I mean by receiving is not just hearing it, but allowing it to affect your life. Verse 11. We serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. So the second thing we want to do is to serve the Lord with, with an adequate respect and fear. Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body. Don't be afraid of people who can kill the body. He said, but don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but are able to, not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. In other words, fear God. Anybody can just kill you. That's all they can do to you. That's the worst thing they can do to you. God can destroy your body and your soul. We do not often show God the proper respect that he deserves. So we're serve the Lord with the reverence all and also rejoice with trembling. To, to, to rejoice with the reality uh, that we serve uh, an all-powerful and uh, omniscient and uh, omnipresent uh, God who's sovereign over the universe. We, 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 a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Their life does not reflect that reality. They say, oh, I believe in God. They'll post on Facebook how they want to pray about this or 
or some scripture verse, but their lives don't match it. They still are involved in deep sin. They still uh, uh, do things they, they know is wrong. They sin against God. But we're encouraged to rejoice with trembling. And finally, in verse 12, pay homage or honor the Son, or he will be angry and you'll perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite any moment, and all who take refuge in him are happy. We are not promised tomorrow. You understand that? If you're not right with God, if you're in rebellion, if you're in active war against God, you're not promised tomorrow. You don't know what it holds. You you could your life could be at an end by accident or sickness or being murdered. We had one couple that started just started going to our church. I think they've been there one maybe two Sundays. And I just started to build a relation, get, get to know them at all. And I knew that the husband had been involved in a lot of stuff that he shouldn't be involved in. But he was going to church. And then one Sunday I opened up the newspaper and I saw his picture in the newspaper. He had been murdered that Friday night. Whether ready or not, time was up. And he was launched into eternity. God's anger could ignite any moment. And and, then David said, all those who take refuge in God, in him, in God, seek shelter, are happy, are blessed. This is a thousand years for this is coronation. The king is coming. And then let's let's let's, let's fast forward, shall we? Uh, let's fast forward. Maybe. There we go. To uh, Zechariah. 500 years before Christ. Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Remember, it's Jerusalem. Shout in triumph. Daughter Jerusalem, look to your king. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So 500 years before Christ, uh, this prophecy of the king would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. What's significant about that? Well, a king riding on a donkey was a symbol of coming in peace. I'm not riding on a horse, an instrument of war. I'm coming riding on uh, a donkey, a simple, peaceful form of transportation. uh, And and that's that's what he said. The king is coming in peace. But the king is coming. And this was, this was written 500 years before Christ. So then we come 
to Matthew chapter 21. And we'll start with verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Bethpage was a place of worship in Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives, so Beth, this, this, it, was, it was high up, high in elevation. You could easily see uh, Jerusalem from, from, the, from there. And so he, he's getting ready to go down into Jerusalem. And he tells his disciples, go into the village ahead of you. At once you'll find a donkey tied there in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you should say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. I want to point out that other writers in the, the Gospels uh, mention that the colt had never been broken. It never had anyone written on it. That's significant. Have you ever seen someone try to break, a, break an animal, break a horse, break a mule, or a donkey? It's, it's hard work. <laughs> they don't want anybody sitting on them. But Jesus, being master of all creation, had no problem with this. The animal was happy to do service. You see, the, the Lord needed the animals. Did you know the Lord needs you? I'm talking to you right now. The Lord needs you. The Lord needs you for him alone. The Lord doesn't want to share your, your, your affections with anybody. He wants you to be dedicated to Him. The Lord needs you in patience and humility. Are you willing to do things that aren't spectacular? That people aren't in awe of, of, of how amazing you are. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to spend your life in complete obscurity, obscurity? Maybe nobody ever, ever else knowing but you and God. What you've done for him and for his kingdom. The Lord needs you. He needs you for service. He needs your time, your energy, your money for his service. Are you, are you willing to be that for him? Verse 4. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. We already mentioned what that prophet said. Is that Zechariah 
Tell daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed him, directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, and then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Something you would do giving somebody honor, like they're rolling out the red carpet for him. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road, also giving honor to him. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and who are those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna comes from the word Hoshina, means save now. Kind of like our King David in, in, in the psalm said, save me my God. Hosanna to the son of David, son of David, referring to his place as the Messiah. They were recognizing him at the Messiah as a Messiah. But like the disciples last Sunday, when I talked to the disciples being clueless, they also were clueless. They thought, oh, here comes our great military leader. He's going to rescue us from the Romans. He's going to make our kingdom great and strong again. We will be the envy of the nations. That's what they were thinking. That's why they were lauding him and, and wonderful Hosanna, who comes to the son of David, who comes in the name of the Lord, the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, Who is this? And they said, oh, he's the prophet, there's a prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. They recognized him as a prophet and, and, and possible Messiah. They, they were thinking, this is the guy that's going to free us. They didn't get it. But they did get one thing right, that Jesus is king. He's king. There's 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 four things that are four things that remind us that Christ is king. You know what I mean? means to be king. We we don't get that very well in, in American society. I mean, we don't have anybody who's so sovereign that they could just have us killed just because they, they wanted to. Who could we compare that to? The king is, is sovereign, is all-powerful. He, he decides who lives and dies. He sets policy for the country and, and, and determines the taxes and determines uh, how the, the military might will be employed. But there's, there's five things or four things that remind us that Jesus is king. From verse 8, we see these palm branches being, uh, being spread around the symbol of victory. 
a symbol of uh, of victory. That's what the palm branches symbolize. But and if you look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen. In verse 55, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. I like the King James Version, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Christ has the victory. He won. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of it at all. We don't have to be afraid of what might happen. We know that that our our eternal souls are in God's hands and we can trust that he will take care of us. Praise the Lord. And then we also see from verse 7 this donkey that Jesus rides a symbol of peace that I talked about. Well in in Romans chapter 5 In verse 1, Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is King, we no longer have to be at war with God. We can have peace with God. At peace in our heart. I remember when, 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 when God saved me, the peace I felt in my heart, I never felt in my life before, that peace that I never wanted to let go of again. I never wanted to be where I was before I surrendered my life to God. I never want to be without that peace. We're also reminded that Christ is king but from verse 9. Where they're shouting, Hosanna. Hailing him as the king. Only only to the king. Only the king can save. Romans again, chapter 10. Oops. And verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just admit that Jesus is Lord, that he is king of your life, and Jesus will save you. Isn't that wonderful? That's the gospel. And finally, we know he's Jesus King because of his love for his people in Luke chapter 19. Verses 41 through 42. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. Did you know that? As Jesus, they were lauding him. Hosanna. To the son of David, and he's riding the donkey, and he's getting closer to Jerusalem. He he cried, saying, "If you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes." He cried for his people because they they didn't know that he wasn't there just to 
create a powerful state. He was there to save them, save their souls. So I want to ask you, if Jesus is truly king, are you a citizen of that kingdom? If he's king, then he must be king of something. King of a country, right? In Philippians, chapter 3, verse 20. We read, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we, we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. And Jesus is king. Are you a citizen of heaven? Do you know what it takes to be a citizen of heaven? To confess and forsake your sins. And to confess that Jesus is Lord. And you will be saved. Praise the Lord. If Jesus is king, do you recognize Christ's authority in your life? Or is it, is, it, is it, do you recognize his authority in both word and deed? Does your walk match your talk? I see a lot, I hear a lot of talk. A lot of young men I've been in contact with, they want to, you know, do a lot of talk. Oh, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do what's right. I'm reading my Bible every day, Pastor. I'm praying every day, Pastor. But they got a girlfriend on the side. That they're involved with sexually. They know it's wrong. They can't let go. They can't say no. They can't give that up. Because God is not truly king. Of their life. And finally, if, if Jesus is king, do you know and follow Christ's commands? What does the Bible say? When I decided to, act, to become a Christ follower, when I took it seriously for the first time in my life, I wanted to find out what God's expectations were of me. I already knew some stuff from the child. Don't lie, don't steal. But over time I learned. Don't have an angry attitude. Don't be impatient with people. That guy I recently, um, we were talking, I come to realize that he had taken possession of some pirated movies. And so I pointed out that those movies were illegally obtained. And so he has possession of stolen property. And his response, I'm going to delete them right now. 
Why? Because he wanted to please the Lord. And as soon as something in his life that didn't line up, he was surrendered to God, his king. As we go into this week, let's take special time thinking about what Jesus did for us and reminding ourselves and our families that Jesus should be king of our life and making sure we're actually living living like that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, you're welcome to give us a rating, a review on Apple iTunes. If you have any questions, need anything, uh, you're welcome to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can find our website at servantsheartchapel.org. Thank you so much and have a blessed day.